0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Life Together is what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. The first week we talked about God's purpose in salvation, to know and be known what it is for us to be saved from our sin and come into a personal relationship with God. Last week we talked about God's plan God's plan for building up the body. We looked at Ephesians 4 and how it is that the body is working to build itself up. And as the body works, God's spirit is at work in the midst of that. And then today we're going to look at God's pattern that he has given to us to remember our salvation in what has been historically known as the two ordinances of the church, the Lord's Supper and Baptism. And so we're going to look at those today. You know, anytime you teach on baptism, you already have a stockpile of good stories to tell, why? Because anytime you introduce water into a service, automatically issues arise. That's just what happens. I mean, you bring water indoors and many people with it and things start to happen. I don't know why that is, but it does. And so I have a plethora of stories I could tell you. I'll save you from most of them. I have to share at least one with you though, right? When I was a a youth pastor in uh, Southwest Arkansas immediately after college, our our pastor there was notorious for saying and doing things that um, you understood what the intent was, but it didn't come across the same way that it came out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And, 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 and it was just, we, we love to see him do the baptisms because you just never knew what was going to happen. And on this one week, he was uh, baptizing a young man who was afraid of the water. Now, if you've been in a more traditional church setting, they don't all bring their baptisms right here to the front of the steps. Most of them had them permanently installed where they were elevated and everyone could see. And the front of it would be about a 14 or 16 inch plate glass uh, or, or plastic where you could see into the water in the baptism that was taking place. And so the pastor came down in his white robe and and the candidate came down, this young man who was afraid of the water and you could tell he was a little nervous and he's, you know, trying to figure out which way to stand and where is this all going to work and the pastor's trying to comfort him and whisper to him, it's okay, yeah, you know, and give him direction. Gets him turned around and gets him all set and he begins to baptize him and as soon as he begins to step back in baptizing the young man, immediately that young man's left hand flies up and grabs the side of the glass he's holding on for dear life it's as if the Titanic is sinking he's not going under and so the pastor in this holy ritual takes him and begins to apply just the slightest pressure to get him to go under and every time he goes down the young man pulls him back up and down and up and I mean This guy was getting an ab workout right there on the spot and what started as a holy ritual turned into kind of a Kind of a dance as they were going back and forth and every time you could see the white knuckles increase and pull back up Let go and pull back up and I mean but I'm sure this only lasted 10 or 15 seconds, but it felt like hours Because by the time the the, the pastor realized he's not going under, I got to get this thing done, he kind of cocks his hip over and puts his shoulder into it and he begins to press. And now what started as holy ritual moved to kind of a dance has broke out into a full-scale wrestling match. (laughs) They're going at it and it's kind of, you know, you go, oh, the crowd's going, ooh, (gasps) ha. You know, you can hear everybody responding out in the crowd. Finally, the pastor says, because he's wearing a mic as well. He goes, well, that's good enough. You can go. (laughs) That young man walked out of there without a drop of water touching anything above his neck. He had successfully avoided what he feared most. Incidentally, the waters of baptism are not to be feared. They're just water. Drink it every day, right? I want to talk about baptism today because we who are the church, the people of God who gather in this assembly we call worship, we are largely defined by how we go about practicing our faith and what that says about what it means for us. So granted, our practice doesn't completely define our faith simply because mistakes get made, that doesn't mean our faith has failed, right? But my point to be, for today is simply to say that the way we practice our faith is important because it demonstrates what we believe about what we're doing. And that's why a day like this is so important for us as a church because it's demonstrating what God has done for us and among us. Here's what I want you to see today is that Jesus gave baptism and the Lord's Supper as a testimony to remember and to declare the gospel. Jesus gave the Lord's Supper and baptism as a testimony to remember and declare the gospel. Now I'm going to dial in on four words for you today for why the Lord's Supper and baptism are so important for us. But I really need to lay a foundation before I get to those words. Because if I don't, they won't mean as much. And everything about what we're doing is intricately tied to what we understand the Bible to teach about it, what it means for us in our faith. And so I want you to understand this foundation for baptism. There are a number of passages I could point to, but I want us to look in Colossians this morning. Colossians, as we talk about what is baptism and why is it so important for us as a church? Why is it important for us as a church? Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6 so we can just kind of get a little bit of context about what Paul is teaching here. Colossians 2, 6 begins. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How did we receive Christ? By faith. The gospel was preached. We hear the preaching of the gospel. Faith is given to us as a gift the scripture teaches by the hearing. And we take that faith and we put it in the truth of the message to act upon it in accordance with it. That's what Paul's talking about in verses 6 and 7. And then in verse 8 he continues. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So he's telling us that our faith in the word of God manifests itself in the way that we put our faith in it in order to live it out and obey it. And he's saying that the truth of God's word that we Understand what Christ has done for us as we put our faith to obey it, that it guards us from the wrong teachings of the world, the, the hollow philosophies, the ideologies that the world is, uh, purports to us that counter the truths of God's word. And then he says this, for in him, speaking of Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What is he telling us there? Very simply, this is critical to our understanding of who Jesus was. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He was man. He was God. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, God, dwells bodily, man. Okay? That's important for our doctrine of Christ. And then verse 10. And you have been filled in him. You've been filled. Your life is not an empty, vacant, hollow shell hoping to achieve or attain to something, but rather the spirit of God has been sent to fill the people of God for the work of God to be carried out that was completed in Christ Jesus. So you've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's Jesus Christ In him, verse 11, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so Paul is speaking explicitly to the Jews in Colossae here as the foundation of this teaching. But he is saying to them that there is no longer a circumcision of the flesh by which you were identified as a Jew and a Hebrew. But now there is a circumcision from Christ. It is a circumcision of the heart that comes by the Spirit of God, the New Testament teaches. And because of that, what he is doing is a circumcision not made with hands but rather by Christ it's a spiritual circumcision it is a cutting away of the sinful guilt and the sinful shame that we have had in our life and it tells us the way that that is transpired is by faith that we've seen we are buried with him in baptism in which we were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God This verse is so important for us, friends, because we begin to learn what it is that God has done for us and why it is we practice these ordinances that he has given to us so that we can bear a faithful testimony of all that he has provided for us. Let me give you a foundation biblically for believers baptism that we practice because believers baptism is important in the role of our witness but also not only for the individual Christian for the church at large. You see the key to baptism is its meaning. What do you mean by baptism? Christians are not the only ones who have practiced baptism through the ages. Many different groups and in many different ways have practiced baptism of many different kinds. And the scripture speaks of baptism in the text in a number of different ways. But in each way, it always means a going all in, a full immersion of participation in whatever the means that was being exercised. One commentator tells us this, that believer's baptism accords with the gospel because it teaches that the work of God in salvation necessarily leads to our response of faith. In other words, when the gospel is preached, it's not just a message for you to take the data of and to own it and to walk away with it and use as you will. But rather the message of the gospel is a message for you to hear and to be owned by. It is a message of a person and who has come in bodily form being fully God and fully man who has laid his life down for us. You can't hear the gospel and be unmoved in response. That's what Paul is teaching us here, that when the gospel is preached, that God became man, Philippians chapter 2 humbled himself and became obedient to become a man. And then as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to lay his life down for you and I. That's not a message you can go, wow, that's wonderful, thank you, and walk away from. Inherent in this is what will your response be? He didn't die for his own sin. He became sin for you and I to die for our sin. What have you done with your sin? Because it is your sin that creates separation with God. Either you are going to solve that issue with God. Or you're going to trust the solution of Christ as your Savior for that sin. That's what Paul is talking about here. And believers baptism for us displays an outward sign of an inward change. It's not producing that change, but through our participation in baptism, it is a public proclamation of our faith in God and what he has done for us internally through our outward demonstration. So in this foundation, we learn this. First of all, we practice believers' baptism because Jesus practiced believers' baptism and he commanded it. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, When Jesus is going to begin his earthly ministry, he comes to John the Baptist at the Jordan River and he says to John, I need you to baptize me. And John the Baptist knows who he is. And at this point, all that we know is that probably John is the only one that knows. Now, Mary likely has a mother's intuition and I'm not getting into that. I've never spoke that language. I don't understand that language. I've just been the recipient of that language, right? As most of you have as well. So we know Mary had a really strong understanding and and, and intuition, but John the Baptist knew. How do we know that? Because he was the fulfillment of God's prophecy to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, to point at him and go, he is the Messiah. And so when Jesus came to John he submitted himself to John's baptism not for the same reasons that Christians today are baptized but to validate the ministry of John the Baptist and to publicly confirm it to say he is the forerunner who is announcing prepare you the way of the Lord and I am the one who is to come. We know this because when John the Baptist brought Jesus up out of the water, Jesus, God the Father identified Jesus as his son in whom he is pleased. So Jesus ordained baptism by, by his practice of it, by submitting to it. But he also commanded it. Matthew chapter 28, what we know is the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus commanded baptism as that first act for new disciples, for new followers of Jesus. That's the way that we go public with our faith. And I want to hold on to that, that reference to first act for just a moment. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want you to understand that baptism is a command of Jesus for all of those who are his disciples. Secondly, one of the reasons is not uh, that we understand our doctrine of baptism is not just because Jesus practiced and commanded it, but the biblical model that we see in the scripture is believer's baptism. Jesus' disciples also preached and practiced believer's baptism. Peter's first sermon uh, on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts was repent and believe. Now, there was more to it, but this was the call to action in response to the truth that had been revealed in Jesus Christ. And then throughout the book of Acts, we see repeatedly how the apostles practiced believers' baptism. That when people responded to the gospel message in faith, the apostles would baptize them in water. And, and we see through this model two specific acts of water baptism. First of all, water baptism was never used as the bestowal of salvation, but rather as the declaration of what had already transpired, what had already occurred. In other words, Believers, baptism is the result of our salvation in Jesus Christ, not what causes our salvation. Baptism is not a religious ritual that bestows something from God on you that you don't already have. It is a command of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ that declares what is already transpired within. Secondly, immersion is the mode of baptism. How do we know this? Well, to begin with, look at the language, the word itself uh, used for baptizing the scripture means to immerse, to dunk, to go all the way under. And so immersion was the mode and, and, and the way that you saw here where someone is laid completely under the water. But you should also note how the text speaks of the action. One of the most well-known instances of baptism in the book of Acts is uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. And the Bible tells us that he was reading from the prophet Isaiah and didn't understand what he was reading. And and Philip asked him, do you understand? He went, how can anybody understand if somebody doesn't explain this stuff to us? So Philip just walked through the text with him and explained. And as the eunuch heard the gospel... He put his faith in Jesus Christ to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and he knew from reading the text that baptism was the next thing, the first thing that he needed to do. And it says they came up to a place on the shore and they stopped the chariot and they said, let's do it right here. And that's what they did. And it tells us that they went down into the water. And then after they were, uh, he was baptized, they came up out of the water. If you're not immersing, you don't need to go down into and you don't need to come up out of. It so says the thing, same thing of Jesus in Matthew 3, that after John baptized him, he came up out of the water. You went, "Why are you making a big deal about this?" Because what we understand the Scripture to teach is a big deal. And the way we practice our faith matters, friends. It matters not only for us, it matters for God, it matters for our testimony to other people. So believer's baptism, by immersion, is the biblical model. Once a person has confessed their faith in Jesus, it's a sign of their salvation, not for the cause for it. We also know that believer's baptism was a historical practice of the early church. That once Jesus ascended back into heaven and we see the first century of the apostles and them establishing the church and the way that they practiced baptism was, as, uh, was the practice of believers' baptism as a result of salvation by immersion. And then it tells us, even historical record tells us that transcending beyond the first century the early church fathers, those who were discipled by the original apostles and then carried on church leadership from there, they also practiced believers baptism. As a matter of fact, historically other modes of baptism like infant baptism and paedo-baptism that we see today did not develop until in later church traditions they began to practice those forms likely uh, only as early as the late second or early third century you say well that's 150 200 years later yes so my point is those who were most closely associated with the Lord understood believers baptism by immersion to be the biblical practice for baptism and then the fourth pillar of our foundation really addresses what we are coming to today that the purpose of believers baptism is to fulfill the biblical purpose of baptism as that first act. So as we mentioned this in the first foundation, I want to come back and revisit it because I want, to, I want to give you four words that the first act of baptism establishes for every believer and ultimately for the church. And we see these even in Colossians. The first word is this, it's the word Identification. Believers' baptism in water represents a spiritual truth as our first act of identifying with the triune God. You see, that's what, that's what Paul's explaining in Colossians chapter 2. He says there was a way that God's people identified with God in the Old Testament. But that's not the way they identify anymore. Does baptism replace circumcision? There are some religious traditions that teach that, but no, we do not believe that. It's a whole other kind of testimony. You say, well, what replaces replaces circumcision for the Jewish people? The Holy Spirit does. Well, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God takes up residence within the one who has been regenerated, who has been converted, who's been saved in Christ Jesus. And it is the Spirit of God that circumcises the heart of God's people to know God. And as a result of the work of God completely to save us, baptism serves as that first act of identifying with what God has done for us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father in his perfect sovereign plan, the Son in his perfect completed work, and the Holy Spirit in the effectual call that says to us, come, come. If you are thirsty and longing for something in your life, come, God has the living water of Jesus Christ. If you are hungry for more in this life and you long for something you don't have without him, he tells us that he's the bread of life. Come, he invites you. It's the spirit within you who is saying, come, feast, feast. That's what we will do in a moment. It's a first act of identification, friends in the work that God has done for us in salvation. And that's why he says, having been buried with him in baptism, by faith the death Christ died on the cross was the death of every person who puts their trust in him. And by faith, the empty tomb that Jesus walked out of When when the Father resurrected him is the same resurrection that you and I too will experience because of Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6 verse 4 and 5. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, believers' baptism testifies to our identification with the triune God to say that our life is only, but fully and eternally in Him, Christ Jesus. The first word is identification, the second word is obedience. Believers' baptism is that first act of obedience for the Christian to Jesus' command. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Baptism is not so much in a linear order, like if you don't get the order right, some, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be problematic with God. The point that he is saying here is, is you, you may obey in some other ways, but it is the first order. It is the first priority. Why? Because going public with your faith, which is what baptism does, is what solidifies your faith. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'll tell you in just a moment. But first and foremost, we know it because Jesus says that to make a disciple, the gospel must be preached. In the preaching of the gospel, faith comes to the hearer, Romans chapter 10, and hearing by the word of Christ. That faith is put in Christ, and that's where our salvation comes from. But then he says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is how we know that we've put our faith in Jesus, because our faith motivates action of obedience. You see, that's why I say the gospel is not a message for you to own, the gospel is a message for you to be owned by. It is our life in every way. And then, thirdly, baptism is the first act of public testimony. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father. This is where it goes public, friends. You see, baptism makes a Christian's witness public because it's how Christians go public with their faith. It's how we declare. I, I, I could tell you story after story of the opportunity I've had in foreign nations to see people who didn't live in cultures where Christianity was not only not accepted, but was vehemently opposed. I remember standing standing on the shore of the Strait of Gibraltar in Morocco, Tangier, Morocco, a number of years ago. And as we stood there, there came this group of people, six or eight, who fully clothed began to walk out into the ocean. And there was a number of groups of people standing along the ocean there, And I didn't really know why they were there. It was a beach. People go to the beach, right? That's what you do. But as this group walked out, the worker that we were with said, watch that group right there. I think they're about to do a baptism. And that's exactly what they did. They kind of lingered out into the water. And then in a moment, one of them turned, got behind the other, and they performed a baptism there. And when they did, four or five of these pockets of people along the beach began to applaud. Now, we're standing back watching all of this. Later in that same trip, we spent about nine hours one day in the home of a Muslim-born believer who begins to tell us what transpires when something like that occurs. He didn't know that we had seen it on the beach that day until we told him. He said this, when that person commits to go under the water and make their faith public in Christ, nothing changes before that. Because they know that they can probably persuade them back. But the instant that they go public with their faith they're all of a sudden disavowed from their family, they're cut off from their family and they lose their job. So when that person walks into the water they know when they come out things aren't going to be the same as when they went in. You see sometimes we take things for granted when it's so easy and when it means the same thing, but doesn't cost us the same. Public testimony matters, friends. What you say and the life you live and what people observe from you with the words that you use, it matters. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is not religious ritual. This is the meaning of salvation to declare our faith Fourthly, not only is it identification with the triune God and obedience to the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And and not only, friends, is it a testimony before men, but believers' baptism is the first act of fellowship with the church. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is teaching on the gifts of the church, even that we looked at last week from Ephesians four, and he's talking about in First Corinthians 12, how it is that the body builds itself up. And look what he says in verse 12 and 13, "For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members are of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body and all were made to drink of one spirit what he is saying is that baptism is it's the crossing of the threshold publicly tangibly into the gathering of God's people he said can't people show up and be a part without being a christian yes and likely there are people in the room even right now who have never become christians in their life but that doesn't make you a part of the church You get that, right? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Coming to church doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Hearing the gospel, having your heart pricked so that the the sin stain upon your very soul is bled out so that the blood of Christ can wash you. This is the only thing that makes you a Christian. When you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. When he becomes not just your savior. But when your life is lived in accordance with his true title as Lord and King. Can be very confusing in a culture that's largely defined by Christianity. When the truthfulness of the gospel gets reduced. To the general ebb and flow of the culture. That's a dangerous thing. When walking into water costs you nothing. Why would it matter? Why would it matter? That's what he's teaching us here. It's entry into the fellowship of the body. You see, baptism is the solemn profession of a redeemed sinner, and it is sacred and it is serious in its act of incorporation into the visible community of faith. Even this weekend in our navigation series, covenant membership classes, we teach that the regeneration of a person is how we are saved, and believers' baptism is how you come into the fellowship. Why? Because that's how we know you've taken your faith public to follow Jesus. Baptism is important for life together because, friends, it's our outward testimony of one's inward change by identifying with Jesus and becoming part of his body, the local church. Let me ask you this. Have you put your faith in Jesus and been baptized? Every person... Who trust in Christ to repent of their sins and receive salvation should be baptized. But this is also true. Only those who've repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus should be baptized. It's not just a ritual to try and salve your guilt and your conscience. It will do no good if Christ has not cleaned it for you. And you say, well, how then does baptism translate into the Lord's Supper? I want to take those four same words and briefly give you an introduction to the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, turn there with me. When Paul is teaching the Corinthians, he goes to chapter 11. The whole of chapter 11 is given to set up and then to explain and teach on how this should be. They had some issues in the Corinthian church for sure. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, what was taking place is... They were coming together for the Lord's Supper, but people were not being considerate of one another. They weren't even worried about each other. They were being selfish, making sure they got everything that they wanted and everything that they needed. They came together to supply their own spiritual goodness. Well, I came today because I need to hear from God on this because I want to experience this with God or this. It was all about me, myself, and I, and not about we and us. That's what Paul rebukes them for. But he corrects them to say, listen, when you come to the table, you need to consider one another. You need to consider one another because the feast at the Lord's table, friends, is our rehearsal for the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where we will be with one another for eternity. Worshiping the Lord, where we come together to consider one another, to serve one another, to love one another, and to bless one another. And Paul says, you haven't been doing this to the Corinthians, but you need to begin this. And by the same four words in verses 24 to 26, he teaches us the purpose of the Lord's Supper. First of all, he says in verse 24, it's an act of obedience to remember Jesus' sacrifice for our sins as often as you do this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. That's a command. It's imperative. There's, we, this is not something that's optional for us. He wants us doing it. Jesus gave it to his disciples in the gospels to do because he knew how forgetful we would be. He knew how quickly we would get distracted by other things and deterred and he wanted us to have a way to remember the sacrifice that he was making for the forgiveness of our sin. Obedience is the first purpose of the Lord's Supper to observe what Christ has done for us. Secondly, it's a remembrance of our identification with Jesus as we remember our participation through his sacrifice and and ultimately our observance of that that's why it says in verse 24 this is my body that was broken for you what I did was not something I needed to do for me it's something you couldn't do for you but I've done for you And so when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're identifying with Jesus Christ. We're recognizing what he did on the cross, that he became the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sin to make a way for us to know God, but that when we put our faith in him, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we recognize that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our participation in the observation of the Lord's Supper is the testimony of our observation of His participation in a sacrifice that was not for Him, but for us. The third word is fellowship. It's a remembrance of who centers our fellowship as the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus. Jesus, when He instituted the meal, was not just sharing it with a disciple, He was sharing it with the disciples. He gave it to the body that we might entertain the fellowship that he has for us as the body is built up. That's why Paul places his teaching on the Lord's Supper just before he teaches on the building up of the body and spiritual gifts. Why? Because if we are not in communion with God, and hear me, community with one another, there won't be any building up. That's what the text is teaching. Finally, it bears a faithful testimony to Jesus' work by His death on the cross for our salvation. Verse 26, he says, "As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He come." That's faithful testimony, friends. Receiving and participating in the Lord's Supper bears a testimony to you. It bears a testimony to God. It bears a testimony to one another in the church. It bears a testimony to the whole world that Christ willingly laid down his life and was raised on the third day. And by faith, all who believe in him shall be as well. The Lord's Supper is important for life together because it is our regular remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us and how his sacrifice centers our fellowship. I'm going to ask the worship team to return for just a moment because here's what I want to do. I, I want to take just a moment to pose what I believe is important in this moment before we come to the Lord's table to ask something of you. Friends, my question for you today is simply this. Have you looked upon the cross of Jesus Christ, hearing the gospel that he died for you in your place so you could know God, so you could be known by God? Have you heard that message and put your faith in him? If not, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I don't want this just to be a moment when we all get a little more educated. I want it to be a moment when we all open our hearts to the work that God wants to do by His Spirit. And friends, if you're here today and you've never come to a point where you've repented of your sin to become a Christian, God wants to save you today. God wants to wash you clean from your sin. He wants to remove the guilt from your conscience that that sin is causing. And he wants to make you new in Jesus Christ. He wants to fulfill the deepest longing of your soul. He wants to satisfy the deepest thirst of your heart. Won't you let him do that today?